Greetings, everybody, and welcome to Awards Blend, a podcast here on the Cinema Blend, Cinema Blend Podcast Network. Um, we are in episode number four of our fledgling experimental Oscar talk show. Uh, my name is Sean O'Connell. I'm the managing editor here at Cinema Blend, and this show is primarily dedicated to awards and the Oscar race, but we tend to dabble in all things film uh, and keep the conversation rolling into movies that you guys are super interested in as well. We do a live show here on YouTube, but you can also find us on iTunes and through all the various podcast apps that you guys have. All four episodes are up or three episodes are up right now and episode four will be coming. Uh, joining me as always for our episodes of Awards Blend, I have two very close friends of mine, uh, outstanding colleagues in the world of broadcast journalism and movie nerds like myself. I have Mr. Kevin McCarthy, who is the entertainment reporter for Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Kevin, say hello. Cheers, everybody. And uh, Sean, uh, can we call this episode New Hope, considering it's episode four? I guess we'd have to, yes, at this point. Awesome. We're going to run out of Thank titles you. after a while, or we're going to yeah. have to stop doing them after uh, after eight episodes. And joining us also, <laughs> in addition to Kevin and myself, Mr. Jake Hamilton, who is the entertainment reporter for Fox 32 in Chicago. Jake, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, guys. What are we going to call this after the Oscars? Because I want to keep doing it. I think we're going to keep awards blend because we're branding right now. This is a strong brand and we'll continue to talk about movies, I guess, that will be in the awards race. Maybe we'll project ahead. But I think that we've sort of established the fact that this is a podcast about movies in general and movies that we love. And we'll come up with some really fun. Like we've already talked about. You brought up a really great topic of uh, picking our favorite directors and trying to narrow down what their best film is. Yeah. We've been debating yeah. that in our text chain already. So uh, we're the three of us are never going to run out of topics to talk about when it comes to movies that's for sure very true very true like i've said many times i've had to silence our text chain because it just goes off so much during the day i will literally come back and have 34 missed text and i know that it's because one of us <laughs> brought up something that ticked off the other two. <laughs> oh, by well, the way uh uh speaking of our text chain um Anybody who's listened to our podcast already knows that uh, Jake's birth name is actually Jakey Jakey about to make a big mistakey. Um, and uh, I, I'm going to post this video soon, but I did visit the actual location where that classic Not Another Teen Movie scene was shot. And I sent it to Jake over the weekend on that text chain. And we were all, uh, that's what we do. It's all we ever do is send each other messages about movies. We're going to have to take that soundbite and make it part of the show. At least like we need like an intro song. Maybe yeah. someone out there who's listening to us can make us a, a theme song for this podcast. We need radio drops. Like I, I want to be able to hit that drop every time Jake makes a mistake. And I just want to hit that button. If they ever stopped making movies, I'm not entirely sure any of us would ever talk to each other ever. <laughs> Well, two of us got to speak to each other in person in Los Angeles because, as Kevin says, he was out in L.A. I was out in L.A. The two of us attended the Critics' Choice Movie Awards. We missed Jake so much, man. I'm so bummed that you didn't get to come with us. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I couldn't get away from Chicago. I've actually been traveling quite a bit lately. So, you know, it's amazing. They, they give you a paycheck every week at work, but for some reason they expect you to be there. So, uh, so I was not able to, uh, to step away. Well, you were missed, and we're members of the Broadcast Film Critics Association, all three of us, and we put on this Critics' Choice Movie Awards uh, each year. This year it was on the CW, our winner, um, which finally now established the fact that we have a race, uh, an Oscar race to talk about, because we have two films that have taken home prominent Best Picture wins. Uh, we gave it to The Shape of Water. Uh, but in addition, we talked about on the previous episode that at the Golden Globes, uh, three billboards took took home uh, trophies. So um, let's talk quick about the show. Kevin, what was your reaction to the winners that we gave out and the award show in general? Do you think that we went with the right films and the right actors, actresses? Any big surprises that, that caught you off guard at the Critics' Choice? 
Yeah, uh, well, first of all, I think we finally now, as you mentioned, uh, we kind of have an Oscar race. I, I think that everything's kind of aligning now to where we are seeing things are going to happen at the Oscars. I think that Oldman now is probably going to win now. I think Shape of Water is going to take picture. I think Del Toro is going to take director. Uh, and I thought a lot about of what Jake said last week about uh, kind of playing that game and kind of being out there and, and, and having uh, a personality in regards to, like, you know, he, Del Toro is kind of that fun guy now uh, to see what he's going to do with his speeches, as Jake was talking about uh, the year that Jamie the, uh, Jamie uh, Fox was winning all the awards for Ray. It was mm-hmm. just interesting to see what his speeches were going to be. That's what Jake was saying. So now that every time Del Toro gets up to accept the award, like at our show, he joked about the music uh, joke that he did at the Golden Globes. He brought that back up again. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, I, I think Shape of Water is a great film, and uh, and Gabe, uh, who produces this show, and I were talking about this yesterday, it's a really, it's an incredible film from a cinematic standpoint and everything that he did. I don't think it's the best movie of the year. Am I mad about it winning? Not really. And I know we're going to get to a topic uh, later today about over the past 10 years, what films we would switch out for the winner that won that year. Uh, and I think this w- this year, if Shape of Water wins, I will be okay with that. I mean, like, uh, it's in my number four of the year. I mean, obviously, I think Dunkirk is no longer in the running. Uh, that was my number one. Get Out uh, is my number two. I'd love to see that win. But I think Shape of Water now has uh, has that path and i think it's i think it's locked in i think it's gonna happen on, on so you're, you're already dismissing dunkirk's choices uh, chances because i think that when the n- nominations come out next week i wouldn't be stunned if like jake and i were talking about this before the podcast started like there are a lot of categories that we think uh shape and dunkirk can both sort of go against uh, go against each other and pick and up the will. same nominations right but then jake was saying like in the actor category no one really stands out enough from dunkirk to maybe get into the race so it might also it, screenplay shape of water dunkirk's not going to get a screenplay nomination shape of water likely will but even but though th- and i would argue that dunkirk's screenplay is brilliant and like people i think people pe- the problem with screenplay is that people think they automatically think dialogue and when nolan wrote the screenplay for dunkirk while it was only 76 pages it's a brilliant screenplay just from structural standpoint, the three different timelines, the way he interweaved everything. But uh, was it screenplay as much as it was storyboards written out? I mean, unfortunately, I do think no. dialogue – I mean, like look at the, the past few winners. Dial, they're usually fairly dialogue heavy. Like I, I understand that like you know, a good dialogue does not make a good screenplay and vice versa, but one is usually associated with the other. But the majority of the uh, of the dialogue that happens in The Shape of Water is all done through sign language and silence. There's not really a lot of talking from the two leading characters in The Shape of Water. Uh, while we know what they're saying via other characters and some uh, some type of subtitles, you could argue that the majority of the emotion between the two leads of that film is not is no, nothing's even being said. So I would even argue that Dunkirk, while there's less dialogue, uh, the screenplay still set up a structure where the timeline and everything worked out to an intensity which Nolan built up. So I, I don't think that dialogue is necessarily the true defining feature of a screenplay. I agree, right, so- and, and, and keep in mind, like I, you know, I'm not on the Shape of Water bandwagon. Um, I, I would take Dunkirk any day of the week. I just don't, you know. They statistically, the movie that gets the most Oscar nominations tends to win Best Picture. Though the past yeah. few years have kind of refuted that, and I just don't see based on the, the movie that's going to get 
acting and you know above the line and below yeah. the line nominations, I don't see any movie topping Shape of Water in terms of actual numeric nominations. I agree All with right. Jake a hundred percent. I mean, I, I think and listen, I, I do want to say, and I've said this before on the show, Dunkirk's my number one movie of the year. I, I'm just saying that at this point. And if you go back and listen to the first three episodes of our show, <laughs> we've been all over the place in regards to where we're, what we're thinking in regards to what's going to be the front runner. I mean, the, the first show, when this first show started, we were like, is it going to be Call Me By Your Name? Is it going to be Shape yeah. of Water? Is it going to be uh, Darkest Hour? Is it going to be Three Billboards? Is it going to be The Post? I think The Post and Dunkirk are now kind of in the same category. I don't yeah, think right, either, cool. I don't, either of them have a chance to, to take home the main award anymore. Let's yeah. talk about this because coming out of now the Critics' Choice and Golden Globes, again, two groups that hand out awards that none of us are Academy members, right? So it's yeah. whatever the Hollywood Foreign Press Association thinks, it's whatever the BFCA members thinks, but we know that these wins raise the profile of movies that are in the race. But yeah. as you guys just mentioned, the posts so far, not looking good. Call Me By Your Name, not looking very good. Not picking yeah. up some of these these wins along the way that, that raise your profile, that help you out. Um the Call Me By Your Name, The Post, The Florida Project. Jake and I were discussing right before the podcast started that um, we thought Willem Dafoe might have a chance of picking up an award and staying in the race. Uh, and the fact that Dafoe didn't win, I don't know if that necessarily hurts him. The The Academy may still favor him. I think he's in, you know, for for the category, but doesn't seem like a front runner now that Sam Rockwell comes in. But we're going to get into this in our next topic. The fact that there's some now three billboards backlash for the way that the movie uh, yeah. clumsily handles race relations, because especially with Rockwell's character being a yeah. police officer who has his reputation for abusing an African-American man, although we don't actually see this play out in the movie, it's it's a characteristic that, you know, is is attributed to him. And he doesn't really have a redemption almost, arc. Not, not just attributed to him, like almost joked about? It is, right. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And he doesn't really atone for it. It's not, there's yeah. no redemption to that, that arc for him. So, um... We mentioned the fact that it's a two-month process now from the time – a month and a half from the time you get a nomination to the time that you make it to the stage. And in a social media age where the reaction is fast and then the fan – you know, the the flames are, are fanned by people who are in an outrage, it's really difficult to maintain your frontrunner status if all of a sudden you're like, now you're the one and we like you and now we're going to start yeah. picking you apart, Right. Well, I kind of felt like that happened with La La Land last year. Remember, it was like really hot for a second. And then, you know, they started sort of being criticized for this idea of a white man saving jazz. Like this idea, you know, and I was reading this article, I think it was Variety or Hollywood Reporter, that said every year there is this Oscar movie that everyone loves on a Thursday. And then on a Friday, everyone realizes it's not cool to love anymore and starts picking apart. Last year was La La Land, and it looks like this year that unfortunate award falls to three billboards and right. uh and and that's you know i like both of those movies so uh i i hated to see it being uh ripped apart the way but i mean i also but i also get the criticism yeah and and by the way uh uh those are it's an interesting thing you say that because la la land yeah you're right it had that like crazy steam for a long time that it became the movie that like everyone was like oh it's gonna win everything kind of thing there's always that weird turn of events when a film kind of takes that path yeah. um but kind of going back to your question sean about Critics' choice. Uh, yeah, I think that uh, a few weeks ago we were all very uh, con- not confused. We were all wondering what's going to happen this award season. I think we kind of now have a, uh, a specified path. And I will say, uh, Gary Oldman's my favorite actor, you know, uh, currently living. So I- I'm 
okay with him winning for Darkest Hour. I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of... It's funny because a lot of the ones that I've chosen, a lot of the ones that were particularly my favorites throughout the year, i.e. the Dunkirks or the, or the Andy Serkis uh, in War for the Planet of the Apes, I know that, that, that now those have absolutely no chance, essentially, to win in the categories that I would hope they would win in. Um, so I think uh, you kind of have to resort back to, okay, now here's where we're at. And I guess I'm, I, I'm happy. I, I would love to see Oldman on that stage uh, winning, even though I'm kind of against the whole career award idea. Uh, I would love to see it. And I will say, and Sean, I told you guys this, I joked uh, at the Critics' Choice and people who had never have been to that show before, you can walk around and meet all these people during the commercial breaks. It's really kind of crazy. And one year, Sean and I took a picture with Alfonso Cuaron. We were freaking out. Um, but uh, this year, I walked up to uh, I walked up to Hans Zimmer to ask him a, uh, for a picture. And next to me was Gary Oldman. And I'm like having a freak out moment because True Romance is my favorite movie of all time. And I'm like sitting here next with this, with the composer. And then Drexel, and I'm like, oh my god, this is amazing. <laughs> and then I, so then I, I tell Hans Zimmer, I'm like, hey, do you remember working with Oldman? And, he, and then, he, and he let, later told me he forgot that he even made the music for an Oldman film. Wow. Uh, and, and then he basically they, they kind of embraced and they and they hugged. And then I, and I took I looked at Oldman and I was like, listen, man, next time you give your speech, please say thank you to everyone and then say everyone like you did in the professional. And he said, thankfully, he gave me a courtesy laugh. Um, but I, that would be the greatest viral moment ever <laughs> if he went on stage and said, thank you, everyone. Could you imagine if he did that? I mean, like the coolest thing ever. And, and for love of God, you would have to get credit for that because you've been fairly <laughs> vocal about wanting that to happen. So uh, I, I, I would go on air immediately and, and say, um, like, that was all Kevin McCarthy. Kevin God, truly so... is the Chris Farley guy from this SNL. He's like, do you remember that time? Remember that time you said remember that one time thing? That was scored, cool. But it worked. Zimmer was like, no, I didn't remember that time. Time. Thank yeah. you for reminding me. They actually do it. It, it was the real. An Oscar race sort of, I don't want to say ruined for you, but does it take the steam out when you're not very excited about what the front runner is? Because this year, because you guys know I'm not a big Shape of Water fan. So I was really psyched about this award season because there wasn't a front runner. And now that it seems to be a movie that I don't particularly care about, I care about this award season a little bit less. And then to be fair, that happens more often than it. I think the last time a movie that won Best Picture that was my number one film of the year, I think, was The Departed. So it's right. been a hot second since I've necessarily super cheered on a movie um, that ended up winning. But I just it it takes a little bit of steam out when when the movie of the moment is one you just don't particularly care for. I, I get heated uh, every year about the Academy, and I, and I don't understand why I continue going back to it hoping that things are going to change. Uh, and they, they, generally, uh, they generally pick films that I think uh, and Jake, I always, I always mention you when I mention this quote. I think it was, I can't remember the exact timing of this, but you mentioned to me years ago that Matt Damon once said that the Academy Awards should be ten years after the film comes out, so yeah. that we could get a uh, an idea of how that film impacted filmmaking and filmography over the years. And it's a great point because there's these moment films that end up winning that generally, uh, over the years, and we'll get to this later on in the show today, that really don't stick. That or they're really... just campaigned for very well. Right. And, and, and I think you could, the best argument I think you can make for a campaign uh, taking a film that was lesser quality and having it win Best Picture would probably be what Weinstein did with uh, Shakespeare and Love over Saving Private Ryan. And I don't, I don't mean to mention the Weinstein name because I know everything that's happening in Hollywood. Yeah, but he was, I mean, even before he, he everything that happened in 20, yeah, he knew yeah. how to, he knew how to win an Oscar. I mean, it was sort of the, the general idea where if you were an actor, 
and you wanted to win an Oscar, you'd work with you'd Weinstein. You'd let it be known to Weinstein, and Weinstein would put you in a yeah. movie, and he'd, he'd get you an Oscar. And obviously, we have no idea what those campaign tactics were. In, in, but it's kind of uh, like running for president, isn't it? Like, yeah. you got to go around, you got you to gotta go to screenings, you got to shake hands, you got to kiss babies. I often attribute winning an Oscar like winning the presidency. It is not just who's best. And in fact, it's very rarely who's best. Who's best. Oftentimes, yeah. you know, they say someone was great, but because they didn't quote-unquote play the game... They they lost out because people didn't didn't go around and you know and they they didn't go to screenings and they didn't get selfies with them at award shows. Yeah, no, I was sitting. And this I was year, sitting in, yeah, sorry, no, sorry, I'm sorry, Kevin. Go ahead. I was just I, saying I was this that, year. I, yeah. <laughs> go ahead. <Kevin. laughs> now I was just saying I was sitting in that room and I was watching Del Toro on the stage, uh, and that's and then Jake's uh, comment flashed before me. I'm like, yep, he's playing he's playing the game now again. Talented filmmaker, yeah. but he gets it. He totally yep. gets it, and yep. he's very lovable, and he's funny, and he, and he, yep. you know, maybe that's why people like Hitchcock and Kubrick and those guys didn't win. I mean, I, I can't imagine those guys being goofy and going around and like taking selfies of people. You know what I mean? I, and maybe there's a, a, a science to it, like Jake said. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, because well, I mean, you know that Nolan would give a very, unfortunately, I feel like he'd give a very cold speech. He doesn't strike me as the type that would stand up and give the Roberto Benini standing right. on the back of his seat. You know, I just, I don't, I don't see Nolan doing that and unfortunately that's kind of what people want to see at award especially if they aren't familiar with the films which I'd argue the average viewer uh isn't familiar with a ton of movies this year um you know you want to see at least the moments you want to see that Cuba Gooding Jr. dancing around on the stage well we're going to get to the films that that you know had we held their award ceremony 10 years later uh we might not still be thinking of them as best picture so um that's a little tease we have a game coming up later on in the podcast where each of us looked over the best picture winners of the last 10 years and picked the ones that we would swap out and say, look, this year in particular, uh, the Academy got it wrong and this is the movie that should have won. So stick around for that one because we picked some really interesting ones. But but this year in particular, I want to get to another topic, which is the fact that not only is it um, people who play the game properly uh, after you get your nomination, but a lot of this looks like it's um, people who don't get in way too much trouble uh, after their name is nominated. And we are seeing this with, and the reason why I bring it up is because uh, James Franco won for uh, the disaster artist uh, at Critics' Choice and did not come. And he, I I think he probably, you know, I mean, probably maybe had a conflict of interest. I'm not quite sure. But it seemed like he didn't come because his name was in the headlines because of these allegations about, um, sexual misconduct. And this is happening all around the industry. And I think it's not only just sexual misconduct rumors, but but we talk about the backlash with three billboards too. And the three billboards team didn't come either. Frances McDormand was not there to accept her award. I don't think Sam Rockwell was there. Kevin, am I right? Did Sam Rockwell? Rockwell, well, Sam was Rockwell he, was, he was hosting SNL. Oh, right. Okay. So, so that's a, fine. Yeah. And he was but dropping it, F-bombs in his monologue. But when you look at look at Aziz, you know, Aziz Ansari uh, won a Golden Globe for Master of None and then faced this um, story breaking about this woman who was accusing him of of being overly uh, sexual on a date that they were having. And he's come out and said, listen, I I listened to her her comments and I maybe everything was misinterpreted, but it was almost like once your name is in the spotlight because you've been uh, either you win an award or you're being nominated for an award, then you have to like brave the gauntlet of public scrutiny of now uh how clean are you like are are skeletons in your closet and what's going to surface so jake and i had this conversation in text really fast and i just want you guys to weigh in on it when we nominate people when people are nominated for different types of awards 
how difficult is it to separate um, truly what's on screen, the art, versus who the person is and what might be uh, a, a very current, you know, topical, relevant scandal that's that's swirling around them? Uh, I, I'd argue two points that it's incredibly difficult, but also I'd argue necessary. I mean, like, unfortunately, I feel like you are judging a, a performance and you're judging your, or you're judging a movie or you're direct, judging directorial efforts. That being said, I mean, I, I don't, I think when you're reviewing a film, if you have some sort of personal relationship with an actor and that could potentially skew, or you have a person or a personal feeling about something they've done in the past mm-hmm. and you know, that's going to affect how you feel about the film. I think you should excuse yourself from reviewing that film in the same sense. I, I, I don't think that personal uh, behavior should affect whether or not uh, you know you vote on someone. That being said, I also understand why people let it. If you know, I you know, if if Kevin Spacey were nominated for an Oscar and I were voting, and even if I thought he gave the best performance, I'm not entirely sure I would let myself. I know I'm wrong for believing that because I know I'm preaching one thing and then doing another. I, I, it's, it is, it is very hard to remove yourself. And I think it's, it's different for a review than maybe it is for actually like giving someone a golden statue at the end of the day. Um, and, but, uh, but I, I, I think the two should be separate. I think it's just very hard to do. I think that there, it's absolutely impossible to go into any film without at least a percentage of bias. Uh, and, and, and here's what I mean by that. And that can, that could be anything. For example, uh, Jake, you're a Tom Hanks guy. Uh, I, I'm a Tarantino fan. I'm a, uh, whatever. So when Tarantino makes a movie or even look at star Wars, for example, star Wars is not a bad film, the new Jedi, the Jedi film, but you go into that film with a certain level of expectations, our childhood, what we've been watching all our lives. There, it's absolutely impossible not to have some type of outside thought process before walking into a movie theater. Now, when going on to the topic of a uh, James Franco or, uh, I think it's fascinating. I was having a discussion with my one of my anchors the other day about this. About it's funny that it's not funny, but it's, it's interesting how some people get passes and some don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I and I find it fascinating that uh, we all can still consider Chinatown to be a masterpiece, even though Roman Polanski did what he did uh, in the in the 70s or whatever. With those well, he won an Oscar like 10 years ago, too. Right. So so that's interesting to me. Uh, then you have, uh, you know, these stories now that are coming out with social media, and it's it's literally ending careers, uh, mm-hmm. the things that are, people are doing. Um, I'd argue that what Polanski did should have ended his career or would have ended his career uh, back uh, if that film had come out today. Right. Nobody would be, like, uh, talking about the brilliance of Chinatown. But for some reason, there's the, there's this element of... I don't know. Some people get passes. Some people don't. Uh, I can watch Chinatown and not think of that for some reason. Uh, it's interesting how certain one, certain things kind of uh, work and certain things don't. Um, I don't know that I can watch a spacey movie now and not think of that. Um, can I still appreciate Seven or American Beauty or things like that? Yeah, because I mean, in my opinion, when you're watching a movie like that, hundreds and hundreds of people went into making a film, uh, and it, I'm not going to let one person ruin that for me. Uh, and I genuinely think that you, even though it's horrible what someone like Spacey and Polanski, all these people um, have been accused of doing, um, I still find their their talent on the screen and, and the things that they're doing as performers. So it's an interesting thing. It's actually something that I don't think anybody can fully answer 
because it's so all over the place. But the Franco thing, I agree with you, Sean. I mean, he was nominated. He won that day. Uh, his name was on a chair when I got there that morning to do my live mm -hmm. shots. Uh, and then that L.A. Times piece hit, and then boom. But I, especially I, yeah. in the individual races, though, you that's all you ever hear is, is how people feel about the person. Um, and yeah. it might be... Oh, they've won before, you know, they don't have to get another one because, and it hasn't, it's not the performance. It's not like they're saying right. they were the, they gave the greatest performance. It's, it's always just like, eh, he'll have another shot. He's young. He'll come back again. It might not even be a scandal. It's, it's never just no. that performance was it. It's always some other outlying yeah. factor. And this year it seems and to be. And that's why people campaign. Yeah, absolutely. And even with Oldman, like right now he's facing the, I know he's, uh, well, I don't know for sure, but I think he's a staunch conservative and Hollywood's very liberal. And, and they're saying, uh, Gary Oldman said a few things over the years, maybe that so far he's picked up awards and it hasn't affected him. But yeah. if he has to survive the next month and a half. I'm not quite sure yeah. where he stands there's, at the end of it. There's an old Playboy interview uh, yes. with him that's circulating that where he said a couple of things where people go like, uh, sure. I, but I think he is going to ride the Casey Affleck wave of the controversy staying sort of just below the radar i think if manchester by the sea had come out this year right. with what we have at least heard allegedly right. about about casey affleck i don't think casey affleck would be a best actor award winner you know what's Very interesting true. about the oldman situation is i posted a photo with oldman uh from the Critics choice awards and i was getting all these tweets of like people were saying like and again, these are the tweets. This is not my thought. Like, abuser or whatever they were saying in their tweets. They were, like, they were giving me things that they didn't like about Oldman. I'm like, what are you talking about? And I had to, like, look up stories that have, things have come out in the past. I didn't really know much about the uh, some of these stories. The Playboy article came up in one of my in one of my tweets as well. Um, so Kirk it is, Douglas. When they brought Kirk Douglas on yeah. stage at the Golden Globes, I commented on Twitter. I was like, this is a really beautiful moment. This is an icon. And then, like, comments underneath that post were just like, He's a rapist. He has all yeah. I mean, just a horrible yeah. accusation that I wasn't even aware of, but but yeah. apparently come out. It's interesting. You got those posts. The the I, I was seeing a whole nother animal post about Kirk Douglas. People were saying that the, they were taking advantage of him. They shouldn't have had him on stage like that. He, oh, he, right. He, uh, the, so there was like three layers to the Kirk Douglas thing. I didn't even see your the point you're referring to. Yeah. Uh, I, I saw people saying great uh that was on stage you had people saying that what you heard and i heard people saying like it was in a it was uh uh they were taking advantage of an older gentleman having him on stage mm -hmm. like that so if people everyone has an opinion about something and uh a lot of these accusations i don't know if you guys have been following a lot of these he's sorry stuff specifically i know we mentioned that uh a little bit ago have mm -hmm. you read these op-eds where people are like breaking oh, yeah. down the levels of uh, of uh, the Me Too uh, movement, and D Damon got in trouble uh, uh, in December when he said said this exact thing about uh, the level of uh, certain things. I, I, I don't remember his exact quote, but he said something along the lines of, you "There are varying I mean, degrees of, of yeah. right. You can't compare it's... like patting someone on the butt to, uh, and I believe his other word was uh, he, he used the comparison to rape. Uh, right. And again, not not commenting or giving my opinion on those specific topics." But he talked about that range of different types of harassment and abuse. So I think that the Aziz and Sorry situation has kind of opened that door up again uh, about whether or not 
you know, what, what, you know, everything's wrong, clearly. Um, it's just interesting that, that there's that level now. Like, you know, do you I, end someone's career over something like this? You know? I also hate talking about this topic in the, in the Me too. form of, are they going to get a shiny gold trophy for pretending yeah, right. to be someone else too? Because it really, right. it kind of belittles the overall part of it. But me too. Yeah. But, but this is an image industry. Um, and you are most of the time, not only just selling the work that you've done, but you're selling who you are. I mean, it's that's a part of being um, an actor, an actress, a director, even to that sense, to the point where now directors used to be guys who could hide behind the camera and you didn't even know. Like, We're going to shift over to Phantom Thread because the three of us have been able to see it. But like, we might know who Paul Thomas Anderson is, right? But I'm not sure if the casual cinephile would know Paul Thomas Anderson if you were standing next to him at the, in line for snacks at, at the Arclight. Although I'd want to know what his snacks... I want to know what Paul Thomas Anderson's movie snacks are. I, I do want to say one thing before we move on, uh, that it is, uh, as you mentioned, I, and I mentioned uh, Me Too just now as I was saying that I agree with you and like it's weird to talk about this in regards to uh, a golden statue. Yeah. I agree with you. Um, but it is, it's an unfortunate thing that, uh, that, that's been happening for all these decades and uh, I think that uh, to me, I'm still able to sit down and watch these films. Uh, I got watching Good Will Hunting the other day, and, and Weinstein's name popped up as an executive producer. Sure, it, it, it takes you aback for a second, but I don't know. Gus Van Sant's film brings me back in, and I forget about it. So, uh, not that it's not important, but the cinematic experience of these movies is still uh, important to me, and I still feel like I, I can engage in the stories. If you stopped watching any movie, you know, because people involved did horrible things yeah you'd have a list of about 10 films that you could yeah. enjoy well there's a great tom hanks quote that it was like if you shunned every movie that involved an a-hole you you would never watch a movie again right but yeah, jake really, admit yeah. if it ever comes out that tom hanks did horrible things you would be heartbroken you know the other d- yeah. <sighs> he would never he's, he's an angel he's an the, angel sir the other day i was thinking that i was like oh my god could you imagine i mean again I, i'm not making a joke about this but could you imagine if something came out about spielberg i can't imagine like you know there's so many films like not that anything would ever come out about him but i mean you think about these people that we hold in such high regard and and, and how many movies and how many how they've affected our lives uh i don't know i just i if something came out about tom hanks jake i mean i can't imagine you not liking his movies still yeah, I mean, but you know, it's um, it well, that's where sort of it, it's borderline between being able to watch it and also, like you said, you brought up a good point, which is, I mean, you know, we we see the credits when you know when the movie is over, and we're talking literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who have made these movies possible, who who gave up a lot of their time and their in their in their life to be able to to work on this. One movie should not be punished because the person who's at the forefront of it did something wrong. Yeah, it's not like it's not like David Fincher was directing Seven, uh, knowing this story that we know now, right. and then like you know Seven, uh, and that's the beauty of film is that it, it's a time capsule of that moment of what Fincher got from those actors and those performances, and uh, you know they're all playing characters. So to me, I can watch Seven and not think about that, but I understand people who have problems with that now. You know. Yeah. All right, we're gonna shift over to a movie that's going wider uh, on Friday, uh, and we've mentioned it a couple of times on the podcast, and. From a perspective of a, we were struggling to get a chance to see it, um, and now that the three of us have seen it. We're talking about Paul Thomas Anderson's movie, The Phantom Thread, um, a movie that, from an awards perspective, is not making a, a huge dent. Um, and I, uh, part of me attributes it to the fact that the focus. Harvey and, and I think, yes, I think uh, 
Paul Thomas Anderson probably just not pushing quite as hard. Now, all of a sudden he's doing social media Q and A's and starting to beat the drum to get people interested in it. But this is a movie that has, it's Daniel Day Lewis's final performance, which I'm not quite sure if that's moving the, the, the meter or not. Um, and it's a, it's an odd topic set in the 1950s and the, the fashion world of, of London. It's about a famous dressmaker and his obsessions. Uh, I, I mean, it's not really one of these, you know, blockbuster crowd pleasers. Um, I finally saw it. I'm catching up with you two. I liked it. Um, uh, we're not going to go in depth. We're not going to go into spoilers. We're not going to really, we're going to save that for a later time when more people have seen it and can sort of weigh in with some questions, but I can see why it's not really, you know, uh, breaking in to this awards race, especially since there are movies that uh, to me, like get out or even call me by your name that have a lot more going for them that can't get into the conversation. I can see why Phantom Thread's not breaking through. It's kind of a, it's a cool and detached film that's, you know, beautifully made, but I didn't leave it feeling much of anything. Yeah, I thought it was as enjoyable as it was underwhelming. I sort of walked out and went, "Okay, like that's 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 fine. That's that's you know." But I, I gotta was... be honest, I I have not loved a Paul Thomas Anderson movie since There Will Be Blood, and that okay. was uh, coming up on a decade ago. There was a See? period where I was drinking the Paul Thomas Anderson Kool Aid, man. I mean, everything he put or out, or the milkshake. I, or the well done, well done. I missed, missed See, that I loved, opportunity. I loved Inherent Vice, and I understand that it's kooky and weird, but I bought into the vibe of that movie. But with Phantom Thread, more than anything, I guess I was just expecting it to make a, a left turn at some point. It was very yeah. predictable. Once it sort yeah. of laid out who they were, nothing really changed away from the fact that just like he was this self-absorbed asshole, and she was the girl who thought she could change him. He had this great relationship with his sister, but nothing really broke from that pattern. Yeah, I, I just thought I'm, way of putting I, it. I I just thought I kept waiting on the plot to start, and then the movie ended, and I thought, oh, that that was it. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Right. But but yet I found myself appreciating most of the things that Kevin Port sort of warned me about. Like the sound design is incredible, and um, it looks fantastic. And there'd be like these really weird. What were those weird things with his driving? Like he just yeah, he I love those shots. <laughs> yeah. But why? To what end? What did it tell us about? The, first off, the greatest named character, I think, in the history of cinema, <laughs> Reynolds Woodcock. I, yeah, that's, that's just the best for so many different reasons. I don't know. When, when I start to rank Paul Thomas Anderson movies, this one's not going to be like anywhere near the top. This is one of my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movies. Oh, what? what? Yeah, what? Like, really? I, 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 I'm in love with this film. And I, I again, I went in. Uh, Are you a closet dressmaker? Yeah, no. Or is, but, it, is this the only Paul Thomas Anderson movie you've seen? You know, you know, you know what's funny about uh, you, you were just talking about the plot line for Phantom Thread. That was funny, Jake. Uh, and I've seen them all. The only one, I, the only one of his I never saw was a movie called Heart Eight with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, which I, uh, I need to very go back good. and watch. Uh, yeah, but I've good. seen every one of his movies uh, post uh, post that Boogie Nights through now. Um, but you know, with uh, Phantom Thread, you're mentioning the plot just now. To me, it's the same thing as like if you told somebody the plot for this movie and Shape of Water. Like, how do you, and I know they're completely different movies, but hear me out for a second. They're both very strange plots when you explain them. Uh, it's a dressmaker, Daniel Day-Lewis plays a character, falls in love with a woman, and something crazy happens. Uh, Shape of Water is about a woman who falls in love with a sea creature and has sex with it. So it's like, yeah, they're very strange. I think they're both, uh, I don't even know why I'm going down this path. They're both, they're very strange, uh, sellable <laughs> ideas. I, I get but, what you're saying. I get what okay. you're saying. All right, so going back to Phantom Thread, I thought the film was brilliant beyond belief. I, I actually don't understand your point, Sean, about nothing happening uh, or, pre- or or being predictable. 
I did not see what happened coming, um, and I won't go into anything, any details. But I know what to, you mean. I know what to you mean. me. The movie was a massive slow burn, uh, and I think that. Uh, and again, everyone knows who knows me knows that I love like a film projection. So like seeing this in seventy millimeter uh, at the arc light, which Sean, I know you did. There was no trailers, and again, I know this doesn't have anything to do with the film itself. Uh, but the, the experience to me, uh, sitting in that theater, uh, there's no trailers. The projection starting. Phantom Thread logo coming up, no trailers, no credits, just boom, right into the film. Uh, we see, we meet Daniel Day-Lewis's character, and then I'm just sucked in immediately. Uh, from a filmmaking standpoint, the sound design is some of the best I've ever heard. I've never seen somebody take a scene of somebody buttering toast or swallowing water or pouring water or swallowing food and make it that intense. It was insane what Paul Thomas Anderson did with the most simple well, details. And because you know like what those noises mean, like how they get underneath the skin of this character that we've been following. Yeah. Like, that's what I find really fascinating. I thought that was really... it is. Yeah. And listen, part of the reason why I think you need to go see it because Paul Thomas Anderson is one of these filmmakers that it doesn't matter what they do, you go see it, right? Like it's just yeah. sight unseen. You want to go see what he does in the feature. I'm reading oh, with all due respect to Kevin, I'm sorry. If, if you're walking out of the movie and the most exciting thing that you can say about the movie is when he butters the bread, it sounds I awesome. I haven't got, you, you, no, there's no, no, got to no. be something more, man. No, I haven't gotten even to my review yet. Um, but oh, dear God. I know we're, ru- uh, we're rushing here, uh, not dragging. But I do want to say real quick, um, two, two things. Uh, when you're watching this film, I'm reading a book right now called Truffaut and Hitchcock. It's a, it's an, a fascinating study of, a, of a Truffaut interviewing Hitchcock over many, many years uh, at a later point in his career. Uh, and he was in the book. They explain this moment where uh, uh, of building suspense of how a filmmaker builds suspense. So, if a gentleman, if you see a scene where a guy uh, walks out of his house, gets to his car, drives to a train station, gets in the train, and goes, yeah, it's pretty. Uh, it's not really that intense. But if you walk out of the house, you see him look at his watch, and he goes, "Oh my God, I'm going to be late for my train." Then the entire drive becomes a fully intense experience for the audience. This is Truffaut's thoughts on building suspense. So going back to your point, uh, Sean, about buttering the toast and the pouring of the water, Paul Thomas Anderson sets up from the beginning how irritated that Dale Day-Lewis's character gets from any type of sound at his breakfasts. So to me, it's almost like a master buildup of suspense and how Paul Thomas Anderson set that up for the audience, explained to us the fidgety element of what this guy is. And then that made these simple scenes so much more intense. So it just kind of, to me, it, it pulled from the classic idea of how to build suspense for an audience. I understand that. That, I understand a, that. aside, from the review standpoint, I thought the performances were brilliant. Uh, I thought that the story, I was so interested in this character. I loved the way that Paul Thomas Anderson kept him kind of hidden from us. I liked the way the story was told with uh, Vicky Crapes' character telling it to the uh, to somebody specifically, which I won't give away. Um, I don't know. I thought the structure was incredible, and it just completely blew me away at the end. I remember sitting in that theater as after it ended, it just like, I was so excited for what I had just experienced. So it's interesting to me that we had such different experiences in this movie. I, I was do you, do I was you regret not away. putting it on your top 10 list? 100%. But I will say, uh, I didn't see it until January fifth or whatever it was so i already had approved and given out my official top 10 uh had i changed it it would be in my top five what would you take out oh i guess what well, i guess whatever your number 10 was what, what was your number 10 no I, i'd probably move logan down one right and then put, but, put but this, one movie would have to be kicked off your top oh, 10 list. i think uh, i think i think i would remove mother i love mother mother was my number nine but now that I'm thinking, I'd put Good Time 
at 10, leave Mother out, move Logan to 6, put Phantom Thread at 5. Do you guys think Phantom Thread gets into the uh, Best Picture conversation? Best Picture conversation or nomination? Nomination. Next Nomin- Tuesday, will Phantom Thread get a nomination? I don't know. That's an interesting uh, question. I would say no. If I, I don't think it has a chance. Whoa, I think Daniel wait, Day-Lewis well, gets a so, nomination. So what are, the, what are the nine movies going to be then? Why wouldn't I think Phantom Thread will definitely be in there. Well, wait, we'll get to that in a second. I, there might be 10. There might be five. We have no right. idea. Yeah, I don't think Focus is pushing it hard enough. I don't think enough people have seen it. They didn't press screener DVDs. And I'd argue, it. short of Kevin, I don't think the people that have seen it like it enough. Because it, it's more, it's more important that a movie get a few number one votes than get a bunch of number I, I don't even know votes. if Daniel Day-Lewis gets in. I'm, I'm I, not even sure. If, not in this year. Not this year where there's too yeah, many in the best I agree. actor category. It's a, it's a strong best actor year. All right, let's go to Oscar well, predictions. Before we go, oh. can, can everyone give their ratings real quick? I, I gave uh, the movie a four and a half out of five. Out of five? Three and a half. Three. Okay. There cool. we go. Tuesday, uh, we finally have Oscar nominations to discuss. Um, I'm super excited to wake up at the crack of dawn and listen to them announce. And Jake, Jake, listen, I feel your pain in this instance, man, because I can't, I'm not that excited. I'm not, there's not even a movie that I, and the post is my number one. And even if it gets a ton of nominations, I'm not going to be like jumping up and down. Last year, last year broke me with La La Land, which I adored and- I, I, now I hear from so many people who are like, "Oh, I finally saw it, man. That movie sucked." And I'm like, "What?" Are you I mean, talking? that 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 happens, though. I mean, that's that's the thing. Like, I I still defend Titanic because I know it's not cool to like Titanic. I like that's that. That's the new Titanic. That's the yeah. like. It's not cool to like La La Land. Just, just like, it's like you know, like you know, I, there there is this idea of where it, it's not cool to like something that everyone else likes, and you know, and and Titanic to me is is the the shining example just because of how popular that was. Um, S- but uh, yeah, I mean, I I think you know, I'm sure Kevin is going to be like me. We're going to be up live on air, sort of, kind of. But to me, you know, the, the Oscar nominations, it's not to me. What's exciting isn't what gets nominated. It's who doesn't get nominated or what doesn't get nominated. Where you sort of look at the five best actors and you go, okay, that's about what I expected. And then you go, holy crap, wait a second, this person didn't get nominated. I remember the year. Right. Uh, it took me probably. 20 minutes of looking at all the best director nominees to realize that Ben Affleck hadn't gotten one for Argo. Cause you start right. seeing the same, we've seen the same names about the same five, six, seven, eight names, right. you know, for, for, you know, for the last two months, it takes you a second to sort of come and focus and realize who's out. So to that end, who would be a huge snub? Who do you guys see, uh, as not getting in? Who, do you, who like, let's go on the record now and tell me someone who's not going to get in and, and, and we're going to have their Oscar chances just dashed. Which category? Anything, any big category. Hanks I, or Franco. I, I think Franco's going to get screwed. Yeah, think so? I, I, Franco. And, and, and I mean, it's interesting because that was one of the topics we had discussed uh, with Franco uh, not being at the Critics' Choice Awards. Uh, and I read a story somewhere that people who had already cast their nomination ballot for Oscars were regretful and wanted to re- and re- and take that vote back for Franco. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember uh, when we first did when we were doing the podcast after the Golden Globes happened. We thought Franco was a hundred percent locked to get in for Best Actor. Uh, now with the speed of everything and the uh, social media, I, he might he might not get in. Now I do genuinely think he deserves a nomination from a performance standpoint, um, but. I don't know. We'll see if that movie's catching on or not. How many Best Picture nominees can you guys see? I mean, we know they can have as many as ten. They can have as few as five. And um, in this year, but in this year where we're kind of talking about the fact that like a lot of these movies who we're viewing as oh well, they're a Best Picture nominee. Like maybe they're not this year. Maybe they do go down to like 
six or seven, although they haven't in the past. They've always kept it around eight or nine. Kevin, you're right about yeah. the fact. But what if they come up with like six because they only believe in six of those films? I wouldn't be right, like right. everyone's like, oh, Darkest Hour is definitely going to get a Best Picture nomination. No. Maybe it doesn't. It will. Maybe it doesn't. 100%. You think so? 100%, 100% will get a Best Picture. All right. See, that's what I'm saying. That know feels like one of those titles. It, that feels like one of those titles that's right there that people are like, oh, they're just assuming, oh, that'll get in. But, yeah. but maybe it won't. It doesn't have a ton of love for because it. Because there has to be at least a small but vocal love for the movie. I know I've said it a thousand times. It's more important to get five first place votes than it is to get 20 fifth place votes. You have to have a, a small – and I don't know a ton of people that love – Darkest Hour. Same thing with something like I, I Tanya. I don't know a ton of people that I, I know people that like I Tanya. Yeah, but I don't know a ton of people that love I Tanya. But that's we, another that one, being Jake. one that doesn't. That's get. another one. Yeah, we yeah. all know the 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 average Oscar voter. I mean, like it's it, it, and we and listen, everything's changed over the years. Darkest Hour to me fits right into that particular Oscar type voter. Um, You're right, but uh, what in a year where they have Dunkirk, would they choose? Yeah. Do they choose one and ignore They'll the go other? Both. They'll go both. Uh, why don't, don't we do this? Why don't we? Why don't, why don't we figure out right now what we think are the definites get in best picture? Uh, okay, we can do that. Right, yeah, shape of water. All right, we all agree on that. So right, everyone, yeah. let's, put, let's put our hands up at what, and we'll, and we'll count as many we get. So shape of water. Dunkirk. Lady Bird. billboards. Oh, right. Dunkirk. Three billboards. Dunkirk. Three billboards. Lady Bird. Lady Bird. Yes. The post. The post. Uh, uh, get is get out a definite. Yes. Yeah, I say get out. Yeah, definite. Yep. Call me by your name. Yep. Yeah. So that's seven already. E- no. No. Darkest hour. I don't believe in darkest hour. No. Okay. I don't believe it. I. All right. We gave the big sick. Oh. oh. You think big sick is in? Big sick no. definitely. No. Sag. Hundred percent getting. Oh, okay, that's a good point. That's a good point. That's a good. All right, those are my nine. You guys are at eight, so you got to find one more. I think we're missing. I don't think Florida Project gets in. No. Oh, yeah, it's Florida Project. Yeah. No. I don't think it Once again, because that falls in that category of, well, I don't know. There are quite a few people that love Oh, Florida Phantom Project. Thread. Phantom okay. Thread's going to get in? I don't think Phantom Thread gets in. So I, Tanya I, gets I, in? I, I, no, I don't think uh, I, Tanya gets in. See, now, this is an interesting question, which I don't know if we can answer. Wonder has Woman? A, no. Has a movie ever gotten nominated for Best Actor yeah, and not gotten a picture nomination? Oh, and yeah. 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 Oh, Training yeah. Day. Training didn't get nominated for Best Picture? No. I don't think so. Okay. No. In fact, I'd argue that, that kind of thing happens a lot. Does it yeah, really? that okay. more often than not, you'll see people get like I could see. I I would not be stunned if Gary Oldman gets a nomination, but Darkest Hour does not. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. That's that's I I would predict that was going to happen. I think Darkest yeah. Hour gets in. Well, uh, all right. That's what I think. That's and so and we talked about Tom Hanks and we love Tom Hanks, but we don't. I mean, he's riding the most Oscar-y Oscar film, I yeah. thought of all time. And yet, um, I'm not 100% confident that he breaks in with the, no, with I don't, the other. And, yeah, but I also think he falls into that. And it's amazing that he does, but Meryl Streep doesn't. I think people could just go, oh, he's got two. You know, it's Tom right. Hanks. He'll be fine. Right. Well, and it's not a showy role. There's not a showy role in that whole movie. Even He doesn't Meryl. really have, yeah, he doesn't have a moment. Like, what is, you know, like, when I think of Gary Oldman and I think of, you know, like, oh, you, you can't negotiate with a tiger when it's your head is in its mouth. I'm like, well, there's your freaking Oscar clip right there. <laughs> But like, what is what is the the Tom Hanks Oscar clip? Nothing. He right. mumbles. Uh, the only way to maintain the right to publish is to publish. Yeah, so That's, we know we, like, we it's know. powerful line. But who who are the other? Okay, so let's think about this for a second. Daniel Kaluuya, if he if he gets in, 
We know his Oscar clip would be the crying scene in the, in the chair. Uh, we, we, you, you yeah, but also uh, Critics' Choice Awards used another good clip, which was the, um, uh, the like, where are the keys? Mm-hmm. Oh, by that the way, clip. by the way, and uh, I think maybe we'll do this uh, on another episode. I would love to, like, go through a film maybe, like, once a week where we, like, kind of talk about it spoilerish. I mean, something like Get Out, for example. Um, I was I, I was walking around the award show, and I walked up to Jordan Peele's table, and I sat down with him for an entire commercial break and went through every theory that I had heard out there about mm-hmm. Get Out and what the metaphor was meant to be. Um, and I was blown away by how all of the theories I had. There's an article on BuzzFeed that breaks down the 20 things. Yeah, I saw things. that. A great video. Dude, you know what one blew my mind? So, uh, and this movie's been out for a while, so we can talk about this. You remember, you know the scene, so in Get Out, at, at, towards the end, when he's sitting in that chair about to watch the TV about of what's going on uh, with the, yeah. So, he's, he's sitting in the cotton? Right. So the theory that on BuzzFeed was that he had to pick cotton to save his life. Oh, man. Wow. So I told that to Jordan Peele. He goes, that's exactly what we did. And Peele told me the original seat that they shot it, I guess, had normal chair stuffing. So he yeah. had them put cotton in the chair. What? Because the wow. Me- yeah. So the metaphor is meant to be that this man picked cotton to save his life. That's, oh that, my god! That is, wow! So I'm telling you, stuff like that, and and I remember. See that again, that makes me want him to win screenplay. Right? How insane! And I, remember, I voted. I voted for him for screenplay. And also, why did we not televise that award? Like, I don't know. He, he should have. He should have gotten television time for that. I ran into Kaluuya out, outside of the uh, thing, not to name drop, but we were at this award show, so everyone was around. And <laughs> the other one that I thought was interesting, and I think we discussed this prior, when you watch it multiple times, you start picking up on little di- uh, dialogue. And that whole scene with him and Bradley Whitford when they're looking down at the basement and, and he says... Black mold. Black, black mold. mold. And, and What's then, down there? Oh, nothing. Right. Just black mold. All these little things. And I remember... Uh, yeah, so we went through all the theories. Allison Williams confirmed that, that at the end when she had... I, I ran into her too. That at the end when she's eating the cereal and yeah. then the cereal's outside of the milk bowl, she doesn't mix the color cereal with the white milk. Okay, but, I, I, but, it, but in the, in the BuzzFeed video, Jordan Peele said that that because someone asked him about that, and he said that wasn't it. He said that was she just to said, imply that she was weird. She said that that was actually the case. I'm just, I'm just telling you, like, I specifically remember it, remember that in the, in the BuzzFeed art video you're talking about, Jordan Peele asked him about the separation of the cereal and the milk, and he said that was more to imply that she was just a weird girl. But why All else right. would they ha- would she have a full bowl of cereal I'm, in I'm different just, colors? I'm just telling you then, what he said, man. Uh, but oh, she also, said that. Yeah. Dude, uh, did did they address at all um, her uh, treatment of the cop at the beginning of the movie? Yes. Because was it more that like she didn't want yes. uh, Daniel to show him the ID because then if he went missing, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's exactly. What I think uh, I, I pretty much remember. I think it was either Jordan or Allison that I asked about that, and that's confirmed. The idea behind that scene and the first viewing, you're supposed to think, oh, she's just trying to not let the cops see the ID because maybe the cops being racist and only asking yeah. because he's black. But the actual reality is she's trying to keep a paper trail away from yeah. people knowing. But the the cotton one blew my freaking that's fantastic. mind. That's fantastic. That's I mean, awesome. think about the writing that goes into that. Yeah. I mean, it's nuts. Yeah, that's great. All right. And now we're going to get to an exercise um, before we break down Get Out and a chance. You guys are hoping that Academy members will watch their Get Out screening uh, multiple times. I don't know they're going to watch it once because there's such a pile for them to get through. And you're right. They have to get to Get Out. If I'm I'm universal, I put out some sort of campaign where like some sort of 
video where you go, did you catch this? And then yeah. like, make them realize it. Maybe, maybe you're right. They're not going to go back and rewatch it, but almost do a spoilery video. Star well, Wars just did one last week where they broke down all the little things you may have missed. And it was brilliant and kind of made me appreciate The Last Jedi a little bit more. I say Universal will do that with Get It out. has to get nominations first. It has to get there. So we'll know Tuesday. I think we'll it know will. if it's in the category. I think it will. Yeah, I think it will too. We'll see. I mean, but that would be a huge. Well, we're going to have a show on Tuesday where we react to the Oscar nominations and. I'm bracing for the fact that we might have a huge topic of conversation that Get Out gets overlooked by the Academy because it just to me it's not an Academy. Movie. It won't. And it got a, it got a sag. It's all it's in. It's all good. I think you're probably right. Um, and dude, but here, Peel, Peel got a DGA. That's it's yeah, confirmed. That's right. That's right. He, yeah, I right. actually right. here's right. the that's ultimate really question: Does he get director nomination? I think so. Ooh, I yeah, think he does. I think he does. I think that DGA. I, I'd argue. I think he has a chance at winning screenplay. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think, I think it'll get screenplay, it'll get picture, it'll get director, and I think Kaluuya might. St- uh, Kaluuya might. St- I'm not cutting it out of picture. I think picture is very. What are you cutting it out between of? now? No, I'm saying just between now and when the awards are given out, if Universal plays their cards right, once it's in the oh, race, they can win. start yeah. pushing it yeah. to win. Oh, it's not gonna win. Yeah. No, 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 it's not gonna. I win. I think it It'll has a chance. Nominated. No other no. film has that much he- love yet. Oh, I agree. The movie deserves to win over Shape of Water, but Shape of Water is going to win. It's I don't fun. know. I don't know. Well, we have a lot of time to discuss that. Now I want to get to an exercise, a fun game where we're going to prove to you that that even all these wins that we're passionately debating, they mean nothing because they're usually right. wrong. Don't mean nothing. <laughs> we decided that, uh, you know, here we're shouting around like, oh, Shape of Water needs to win or Get Out deserves to win. But like when you and Kevin said this beautifully at the beginning of the show that he was so right. Like this could be the year that Shape of Water takes home best picture. But two years from now, we look back and we're like, oh, man, Shape of Water. Really? Like that's the one that we all like it. We think it's a really good movie. It made all of our top tens, I believe. Right. All three. Nope. Nope. Oh, nope. Jake, you didn't put it there. No, I, in fact, it didn't even like it wasn't even in contention for my top ten. Three for me, three for me, and four for Jake. So here's four why um, it, this is not important. Um, these are winners from the past ten years um, that we think are just egregious errors, and and we even went so far as to choose the movie that uh, that we think should win over it. Um, it as long as one of us did 2011, I think all three of us are going to be happy. So, Kevin, I want to start with you because that was the year that The Artist won. And let me go on record as saying I understand why The Artist won. It is the most Academy movie of Academy movies. It's black and white. It's 99% silent, except for the probably the one clever scene in it. Um, it speaks to old Hollywood and the senior citizens who popped that DVD in just had an orgasm. It was like, and it is kind of cool. I do Oscar like the porn. idea of telling the story about the end of silent movies through a silent movie. Like it's totally the elevator pitch is brilliant. And I don't hate it. I don't hate it, but it, it beat a ton of amazing movies. Yeah. And so we're saying the artist, no way the artist should still be best picture winner. If we were voting today, Kevin, you would go with, uh, well, first of all, I don't understand. First of all, it never deserved to win. But that director, where has he been for the past seven years? Where's Nowhere. the actor been? He won. They won Best Director, and I looked at his IMDb the other day. He, he also won anything. The actor won Best Actor too. Where? What is he I know. doing? So I, I, honestly, this is horrible. I can't even think of his name. Uh, mm. uh, yeah, neither can I. Oh wait, no. Jacques. Jacques uh, See, this, this is, is not, not good. good enough. This is not good. Yeah, this anyway, is not good enough. Because uh, yeah, I remember artist. he beat Clooney for the Descendants. Mar- Martin Scorsese. What's that guy's name? Martin Scorsese. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kevin, art, Kevin yeah. you would choose. 
You would, I would choose, choose over well, the artist. I would choose every film nominated over the artist. <laughs> everyone. Uh, everyone. But no question, Hugo. I, I was obsessed with what Scorsese oh, yeah, did with that great. movie. Um, listen, I mean, uh, the artist to me was nothing more than a gimmick. Uh, it was just a... Uh, it just didn't do anything for me. It felt like it was trying to be cool, but it wasn't cool. Uh, I don't understand how that movie even rode the train that it did. Uh, I would, I admired it maybe for like a TV film or whatever it would have been, or like a uh, uh, something about history of movie making. But no, it. And you would think that someone who loves filmmaking as much as I do that I would love a film like that. Um, but I just didn't, and I hated the whole idea. It was a love letter to cinema. I don't. I, I just don't care. Uh, this movie was not best picture no one's talking about it no question on that list uh everything else deserved it uh even sean's favorite movie of all time extremely loud and incredibly close but i think that hugo i like that movie man hugo no question was the best film okay wait this is what i want to do because uh, truly looking at the artist uh, again a movie that i i I like it's fine but i want to go over all the other nominees for best picture that year and i want you guys to legitimately tell me if you think it should win over the artist okay the descendants alexander payne the descendants yes Yes. absolutely extremely loud and incredibly close would you vote for that over the artist yes i would too the help yes yeah i would not i would not not the help the help is fine i like the help yes helps a much better better film much better hugo hugo all three of us agree absolutely Midnight in Paris. Yes, yes, 100%. Love that movie. I'd be on the fence with that one. I think the artist is better than Midnight in Paris. That go- also, Midnight in Paris goes back to our conversation of separating Woody Allen. artist from... Yeah. Moneyball. Yes. Oh, I love Moneyball. Moneyball is my number one that year. The Tree of my Life... My number one was Drive. Tree of Life? No. Yes. I don't like Tree of Life. I don't even love Tree of Life, but yes. I would put the artist above it. War Horse. Yes. Yeah, I'd put War Horse. <laughs> see all right so eight or eight or nine of ten we would now go back and vote okay so but my, artists... my number one of that year wasn't even nominated my number one that year was drive right. I, I think kevin i was also a fan of that movie as well drive um, was my number one yeah yeah, yeah he likes and, and moneyball was my number two and moneyball dude that movie holds man that movie i i've watched that movie probably a dozen times since 2011 drive you know how many how many times I've tried to show people Moneyball and they look at me like I'm crazy. Like they just, they don't, they don't get Why? it. It's, it's super dry. I get it. It's super dry. The, it's, it's, it's a movie it's about the best screenplays in the last 10 years, but it's a movie about little subtle changes in characters. And if you're not interested in, in that, those dynamics, then it's, it's hard. And it was my number one. I love it. I think it's amazing. Yeah, I, I, but I, it's I one of those movies it. where I put on in a room and we're half an hour into it and I just feel the eyeballs of the people I'm trying to show. Oh, I, could, I do. Honestly, God, you come over. I, I, well. We could turn it on right now and I would watch it with you without question. Good. I Jake, watched it on a plane the other day. Jake mentions <laughs> Drive. Drive is the only reason that I'm married. Like literally that's the reason why Lauren and I met was because Drive was There's out of the time. There's got to be something talking. else. There's got to be. Well, no. The like, first time, love, just drive. It's got to be love, or, or no? I'm being serious. The first time Lauren and I like kissed was to the was to drive. Drive was playing on the TV, and the soundtrack was was playing. And we both bought uh, jeans for that date, and there was a white couch, and the whole couch was covered in blue jeans. At the end, <laughs> okay. I I want to get you and Lauren in two separate rooms and ask why you're married. And I swear to God, if both of you don't say drive. You might she'd be say, in trouble. I think she'd say drive. I you know, that's the thing. That she, I, we all know Lauren. She absolutely <laughs> would say drive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. of course she absolutely. Will. Oh, I got to tell a, a really quick story. <laughs> um, during the Best Director nominations, um, 
the the category was being announced and I was standing near Lauren and Kevin was like inching towards the stage. And I said to her, uh, I said to Kevin, I said, do you think it might be uh, Nolan? And he was like, nah, he knew for sure it was going to be Del Toro. This is a critic's choice. And Lauren's like, do you know how often I have to hear about Dunkirk? And And it was the most honest reaction from a person who was just like, I don't even know if she knew she was saying it out loud, but she was just like, do you know how often? Were you guys pretty close? Like, like, like Kevin, theoretically had Nolan won. Would you, would you have been able to shake his hand when he made his way to the stage? Where where were you in, in position between uh, like the stage and no one per se. He was like in the middle. I, if he had won, I would not have been able to shake his hand on the way to the stage. I mean, he. By the way, I I have a Dunkirk uh, book, ne- a two Dunkirk books next next to my bed that I sleep next to every night. <laughs> okay, hold on. 2010. I want to get the Jake's pick. Jake's pick yeah. is um again Jake, Jake. another year where in 2010 <laughs> the King's Speech won Best Picture. Yeah. Again, a fine movie. A, a rated R so movie. Are the artist and the King's Speech both Weinstein films? Are they both Weinstein films? Yes. yes. I know. I know. I know. King's Speech is um, the artist. Definitely is also. So, so uh, yeah, shows how I far would it goes. pick. Jake, um, you go with. I would. I would pick the Social Network. Though I also would have gone with uh, Inception. Those were my two favorite films of, of that year. Um, probably Social Network, just because. I mean, we're talking about. I'd argue one of the best cinematic screenplays of the last quarter century. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we're talking, uh, you know, the, uh, one of the best directors working today at the best of his game, one of the mm-hmm. best writers working today at the best of their game, uh, not uh, a false performance in the entire film. Uh, we're talking about a subject matter that under no circumstance should have been interesting yet somehow was, um, I, I've, I've read the accidental billionaire and, and it, you know, it's, 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 it, I've also read Moneyball. We were talking about Moneyball. Those are two very difficult books to adapt. Um, mm-hmm. specifically Moneyball, um, but Sorkin can somehow take very difficult books and and turn them into just just Shakespeare on you know to the ear. I mean, it is it's, it is just absolutely gorgeous. That is a film that holds up. I'd argue a film that people still reference, that people still talk about. Same thing mm-hmm. with Inception. Um, it still has uh, a presence in sort of the zeitgeist or or pop culture or conversation of cinema. And mm-hmm. I cannot tell you the last time someone said, remember that scene in King's Speech? No, no one. In fact, <laughs> the only thing people talk about is in other uh, references, in other, uh, like The Crown or other movies where uh, they feature uh, the king. They go, oh, is that the stuttering king from the King's Speech? That's the only right. thing is that it made people aware that there was a, once a king that stuttered. That's the only thing there is. If you went around and asked casual moviegoers what movie won Best Picture that year and you said was a King's Speech or Social Network, a lot of them would be like, oh, I think Social Network won that Social year. Social Network, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because it's a better film. Yeah, I mean, that, 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 that year is honestly one of the biggest problems with the Oscars. I mean, the, the, uh, the King's Speech was an, a passable film. It was very good. Um, but Dun- uh, Dunkirk, uh, Inception, and uh, it's, yeah, it, it's, got, it's, got, it's a problem, guys. It's getting bad, dude. It's getting bad. <laughs> it's getting bad. Um, Inception and Social Network were uh, beyond belief. Both of them top five of the year, no question. Uh, I would I'd, I would give the uh, the tip to Inception only because just um, just what that movie did from a filmmaking standpoint. Even though Social Network was brilliant, um, I think Inception just took a deeper dive uh, for me. Um, just for what it did. That's all. In 2014, um, I I think the wrong movie won, and you guys are going to disagree with me, but I absolutely would kick out Birdman, and I'd go with Boyhood. Boyhood wins over Birdman. Um, and I, I think both of those films 
Oh, really? I thought you were a bigger Birdman fan. I love um, Birdman, but Boyhood's a better movie. I, honestly, I think I had them three and four on my top ten list. I think I had Birdman three, and I think I had Boyhood four. So, right, like, so it's, not, it's, as it's, egregious, not as egregious. Not as egregious. I mean, I, I, that's there are um, There are times when a movie gets recognized, I think Gravity was one of these films, where it gets recognized just for what it it pulls off like you step back and you look at the project and you think like, there's no way that this person should have been able to pull this off. And that's what boyhood to me. It, it's, it's 50% that it's 50%. This guy got the cast back together at all of these different times and nothing really went super wrong. It's part of the reason why I think the Harry Potter franchise is the greatest franchise of all time because of all the things that should have gone wrong over the course of those uh, eight movies that they made. Like none of those kids went bad. You know, none yeah. of those kids became a, a scandalous mess and, and ruined the franchise. I mean, boy, like those people were always available. They were able to, and not only that, but then like, so it's the, it's logistically pulling it off, but then it's like, what it says about the about those characters at the different points in their life and what um the, uh, not only the actors but what Richard Linklater was able to bring from his own experiences and put them into the script and I, how that movie because Birdman to me is is and maybe I'm reading Birdman wrong and I need to sort of go back and and revisit it but it's such a middle finger to the industry that and and to people who who turn themselves over to the industry like michael keaton who's known as batman right not no not just for batman but like he's kind of yeah, like exercising yeah. the demon of being a superhero right yeah. and he's kind of saying i don't need this f off i'm going to broadway even though it's a movie about it i know that people love that movie because it looked like it was a single take and that's impressive but what boyhood did over the course of those how many years was it was it 20 12. years 12 or, oh, 12 12 12, yeah. 12. okay that's 12. me Cause, yeah because it goes from it goes from 6 to 18 bird uh, uh boyhood to me uh, one of the things i hated about that particular year was that everybody uh to me a lot of people focused on the idea that boyhood was only good because of the gimmick or what it did uh, and i completely disagree with that i i think that uh, one, it told a great story. Two, uh, it's a juggling act like I've never seen a filmmaker do. Uh, to me, that is the quintessential idea of what directing is. Keeping your actors in line with what scene they're doing, where they are emotionally, and where they've been emotionally, uh, and telling an actor, here's what happened prior to this scene, but yet you have to tell them this happened five years ago, wherever it was when they shot it. So to me, that that is the quintessential idea of what a filmmaker is. And I think Birdman, I love Birdman. I think I was blown away by what, by what uh, uh, Inuritu did with that movie. Um, and the single take and the performances and everything like that, was it was very, very well done. Uh, but I do want to mention one thing. Sean, you just mentioned Gravity. That's another year where they got it 100% wrong, in my opinion. Uh, what, what, a 12 Years a Slave one? Yeah. And listen, I, I like think 12 Years a Slave. I think 12 it's, Years a Slave an is an film. It's an outstanding movie, and it's a very important film. But Gravity, to me, and I don't know. Where I, think, do you guys, I think it was all our number ones. Gravity I, I, is, but I also think 12 Years a Slave was maybe my number two. 12 Years a Slave is a, great, is a great movie. Don't get me wrong. But I think Gravity... Uh, is clearly the one that people are still talking about. They're still examining how he did it. Uh, uh, it was arguably one of the greatest cinematic experiences of all time, seeing that in 3D. I remember w- being with Jake when we first saw it for the first time and walking All out three of us. Him. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And Sean and our jaws just dropped to the floor. Um, so to me, that reaction we all had that night after that movie is a sign of what that movie meant. Uh, and I think that that was the best picture that year. Do you know me. what else was nominated the year that 12 Years a Slave won and Gravity was nominated? <laughs> Nebraska um, and Philomena. Oh, wow. wow. And then also and Wolf here, of Wall Street. And he, her, yeah, Wolf of Wall Street and, and her. Dallas Fires Club is very good. Oh, 
Captain Phillips is not very you know, good. Going I'm back sorry. to to Boyhood and trying and, and circling back on what we talked about, I think Boyhood falls into that category of the movie that was really hot, and then right before it was time to start voting, all of a sudden had this backlash. Right. Uh, which is you know sort of what I felt like happened to La La Land. What was the backlash from Boyhood? That it was just a bit. Again. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay. That's all there was to it. I, re- I remember like cause there was a time where it was like Boyhood was the movie to beat, and then all of a sudden. I, I look up and everyone goes, oh, no, it's not like, it, it sucks. It's just a bit. It's just, he could just go, you know, like, and so it, 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 it sucks that, that, you know, there's this argument of like peaking too early and peaking at the right time. And, and remember, uh, there, there was the, the year that uh, the aviator, everyone thought Scorsese's says the aviator was the movie to beat. And all of a sudden on Christmas day at the very last minute, uh, Clint Eastwood put out this movie that no one had heard of called Million Dollar Baby and all of a sudden it came out and it was like the thing, you know, it's just, it's all about like timing and when you get hot and making sure you get hot. Like before people nominate, but not too early before people nominate, because then, you, then your heat runs out. You do not want to be the front runner in January. No, like God when no. we do our show next week, I'm, that's why I'm telling you guys: if we do our show next week, and Shape of Water is the movie that we're all predicting to win, we got to get through February and the beginning of March before anything yeah. happens. Because way, everyone the, shifts their games starting Tuesday. Million yep. Dollar Baby. Overrated beyond belief. Oh, it's I a great. With you. I agree film. with you with that. It's, yeah. the AD, it's a great movie. No, it's a good film that okay that, that, that has a great message. It's not a great film. It's really. I'll, I'll the, take the it one step further. A better movie that one. I don't think Clint Eastwood is a great director. I agree. I would agree with that, but Million Dollar Baby is a solid, solid but film. I really I like think, that. Movie. I think Clint Eastwood is a good director, and I think that Sully was great. I thought that uh, Mystic River was really good. I thought that uh, Unforgiven was solid. Uh, I don't think he's uh, a phenomenal filmmaker by any means, but Million Dollar he's Baby, fine. Million Dollar he's Baby fine. was average at best. It wasn't great. It wasn't Kevin, great. I agree with you, one hundred percent. Aviator should have won that year. We all know that. I mean, Scorsese. Not a, no. Oh my God! No. What else? That what else was that like year? There had, there had to be there had to be something else that year. It was like uh, Finding Neverland. Ray Ooh, I like Finding Neverland and Aviator. All right, next Tuesday, we're going to have some actual Best Picture nominees to speak of, and then we can really start picking this race apart and uh, shift into a second gear. Uh, this has been Awards Blend. This is episode number four. Are My name done? is Sean O'Connell. We are wrapping up, my friend. I've got we're, more to say. I have Jake Hamilton. I have Kevin McCarthy. This is a podcast we are going to do um, live here on YouTube on Cinema Blend's page, and then you can also find all of our audio on iTunes and various um, ways to download your podcast. Please head over to the iTunes page. Subscribe to us if this is the first time that you're listening to us. Uh, leave a rating and leave some comments. All of that stuff really helps build the profile of the show. Uh, we're on Twitter all the time. Jake, where can people find you? Uh, at Jake's takes. Kevin, where can we find you? You can also find me at Jake's takes. Just, just, just go to just go to his feed and you'll you'll, you'll see me on there. <laughs> yes, Kevin will be mentioned a few times. And but I the thing sh- is they're gonna mention not not that Kevin McCarthy. Not me. They're gonna mention the uh, the Kevin McCarthy. I have to just mention this briefly because Kevin's been beating uh, that drum lately and it's been so fantastic. So Kevin McCarthy gets mistaken for uh the Speaker of the House? The Speaker of the House? No, 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 no. That's Paul The Majority House, Leader. The House Majority Leader. Leader. House Majority yeah. Leader, Kevin McCarthy. <laughs> and all these people who hate this man, who hate him, uh, send awful tweets to poor Kevin here uh, about political things. Brutal and then Kev- stuff, man. But Kevin Brutal. responds with the greatest, like, you'll find one word in their in their hate speech tweet that references a movie, and you'll be like, ah, oh, thank you so much for bringing that up. Have you ever seen this movie? And then I love the people who come back around, and they're like, 
I did see three billboards, and Francis McDormand is totally overrated. <laughs> and then it goes down another conversation. So please and, keep and that up because that entertains us to no end. The beauty of it is like they'll 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 delete their tweet immediately, and I, and I, so I screenshot every one of them, and then I just and, and then I just throw it into the thread. But like, yeah, some of these some of the ones are really brutal, and I, it's like it's crazy. But I don't know. I think it's funny. So uh, I don't know. Oh, it's great. It's for, great. Thank yeah, you for that. Keep it. All right. So our next show we already know is going to be Tuesday, Dece- uh, December, January twenty third. That morning, the Oscar nominations will be announced. We will have a reaction to it at um, five p.m. Eastern. Uh, 2 p.m. Pacific, that is, and 4 p.m. Central. See, I cover all our bases. Well uh, so th- thank you very much, guys, for tuning in. I appreciate you guys for being with me. Of course, as always, a pleasure. Uh, if you're watching live, we appreciate it. If you're listening on the iTunes, we appreciate it. And we will talk to you all next Tuesday. Dunkirk. Dunkirk. Oh, dear God. Dunkirk. Dunkirk. <laughs>